0: What's going on, everybody? Hopefully you are having a great day today. I'm coming live to you from the wonderful, ever-changing weather, uh, the the wonderful city of Chicago where the weather is ever-changing. Hope everything is going good with you today. Today I want to be talking to you, I want to share with you on the subject of spiritual growth based on entire sanctification. So I wanna share with you how we should understand our spiritual growth after we are saved. And I believe at salvation, we are entirely sanctified. Good morning to everyone listening. Let me know that you are listening, maybe by sharing a chat, like and share. If you are interested in your friends knowing about these conversations, let them know that you like this content or share it on your page. Okay, so let's go to the scriptures and get to understand this concept of entire sanctification. So in Colossians chapter two, verse nine, Paul writes, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. What's going on, Walter? What's up, Michael? Glad you guys are joining with me. In Colossians, it says, as much of deity or as God's nature was in Christ the man is as much now as Christ is in us. Let's make sure that we understand what Paul is saying here. He is saying, in Christ, there is all deity. So there was nothing lacking concerning deity As was in Jesus the man. Jesus the man was fully God, fully God, fully man. Now then, understand how Paul applies that to us. He says, As Christ was fully God, you now have been brought to fullness in Christ. That is not something that we are waiting to have happen. That is not something that has to happen after we die. That is something that has happened at the cross. You have been brought to fullness. So are we fully, entirely sanctified? Yes, we are fully saved. We are fully sanctified. Now let me show you in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. We'll make sure that we understand this clearly. Hebrews 10, 14 teaches that we are entirely sanctified. It says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect those who are being made holy. So notice you are perfect. And then the NIV says being made holy. Like as if that process of being made holy, um, some might interpret makes you more perfect. But notice what, the King James says, "Being sanctified." Now, notice again here what the NET says—a more, um, ac- a more scholarly translation. It says, "For one off by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are made holy." So now, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, "Is the perfection that we have been given at sanct uh, at-, at salvation?" Now being affected by a continuing work of holiness. Now, I prefer the NET that considers the work of holiness complete and no longer ongoing. It seems like that translation says that. But even if the work of holiness or sanctification is ongoing, is it ongoing and perfecting something that's already perfect? Or is it ongoing and keeping that which has already been made perfect? Let me make sure that everyone understands what I'm saying. And Walter, I thought I, I thought I said your name. I thought I said, what's up, Walter? Maybe there's a delay and you didn't hear that, but I thought I said that. Okay, now, whether we take the translation of Hebrews that says we are being made holy, being sanctified, or have been made holy, as the NET says, no matter what, the question uh the, the, the passage already said that we are perfected past tense. And so now whether or not you take the, the translation to mean that holy uh that being made holy was a definite work of the past or is still ongoing, the question would be: does that impact our perfection that is past tense? So let me ask it to you like this: if you believe in being holy, is a being made holy is progressing still. So there was a definite moment of holiness and you were perfected and now it's progressing. Does that change the level of perfection you have? If you take this scripture serious, it says you were perfected for all time. So now, even if you are being made holy in a progressive way, does it change you were perfected for all time? No, perfected for all time is complete. So how should you understand it then? It should be understood whether or not we agree that the sanctification is once and for all or ongoing, that the state of perfection is our state in Christ. So Christian perfection is not an argument according to Hebrews ten fourteen. Christian perfection is something that's already been done. And now what we're really discussing is how does holiness move forward from perfection? And so some versions translate it like I've showed you here that it says we're perfect forever, but we're being made holy. Now, I believe the context of Hebrews settles it because if you go up just a little bit in verse 10 of Hebrews 10, chapter 10, now verse 10, it says, And by that will, we have been made holy, past tense, through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So in the same way that we are said to be made perfect forever in verse 14, in verse 10, it says that we are made holy once and for all. So once and for all, we're made holy, forever we are made perfect. So I believe that the work of holiness is definite and is complete in Christ. The work of sanctification is definite and holy. Now, once again, some may say that it continues on in some ways. And so I'll grant to them this idea that it continues on if they will take serious that the perfection is not impacted. In other words, if there's a continuing of holiness that, that the work of holiness, the work of sanctification is in their life, then it would only be because someone who is perfect in Christ might have sinned and they need to be cleansed of that sin so that they can remain in that perfect state. But I personally don't take the translation that says we are continually being made holy. I believe that we have already been made holy as the verse prior says in verse 10, that we have been made holy once and for all. So does everybody understand what I just shared there? I know it may seem a little bit complicated when we have different versions of the Bible giving us different understandings of how holiness is either definite and ongoing or definite and complete and not needed to on to be ongoing. Now, right uh, today in on our church website, I have the assemblies of God statement of, of, of holiness. And it seems to support a, a instantaneous idea of perfection and then an ongoing perfection. And so that's why I uh, I understand where people are coming from when they support that idea. And that to me is like the second best idea. And so I will one day update our bylaws and our doctrines to reflect The language, which I think is more clear now uh, from the scriptures that teach us that, that perfection and holiness are both complete and entire at salvation. So let's just answer this question. According to Hebrews 10, 10 and verse 14, are we perfected and made holy completely at salvation? Yes, we are. If we look at verse 10, it it says that we have been made holy. That is past tense through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus once and for all. And then in verse 14, it says we have been made perfect forever in Christ. And so the translation should not be those who are being made holy because we have already been made holy in verse 10. It should read, as I believe, in verse, uh, in the NET, as it says, for one, one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified, that complements verse 10, by, the, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And the reason why some translators put it in the present is because that form of the Greek verb can be either or. It can sometimes act as a past tense or something that is ongoing in the present. And so it can be a little bit tricky. And so how do we uh, work through a translate? How do we know the right translation of a passage? It should be by the context. That's how if we come to a, a point that it could go either or, we should translate it in a way that flows with the context. And so in the context of Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 10, it already says we've been made holy in the past tense. And so now when it brings up our perfection, it should continue with that in the past tense. And so that's a solidify and and in the discussion, in my opinion, on how we are sanctified. Now it may seem a little bit complex, but let me just read it to you now out of Hebrews, uh, out of the N A S B as well as the N E T, so that we can settle this. For by one offering he has perfected all time those who are sanctified. So if you accept my translation and the reason behind the N A S B and the reason behind the N E T, you accept that according to the Bible, when were you perfected? You were perfected at salvation. According to the Bible, when were you sanctified? You were sanctified at salvation. Now, let me show that to you again. 1 Corinthians chapter six tells us again how we were, uh, when in the timeline we were sanctified. 1 Corinthians chapter six, or is it 2nd? No, is it, I think it's second. Cor- yeah, second. Sorry, Second Corinthians, chapter six. Oh, let me see here. I'm off my game right now. Give me this. Give me a second here. You were sanctified. Okay. Okay. Corinthians. First Corinthians, I was right, chapter six. Why did I miss it? You know, sometimes when you got the Bible open with all these other programs, you miss it. Okay, I thought I had it. There it was, I went right by it. Okay, first Corinthians chapter six, verse 11 says, and that is what some of you were after he listed off all these sins. It says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So once again, according to the Bible, when were you sanctified? You were sanctified when you were washed, when you were justified. When was that in the process of your life? That was at salvation. Thank you, brother David, uh, Roger. Um, just can't believe that I missed that. And I'm glad you love this hermeneutic because it takes time, right? To explain it. And sometimes when I'm preaching it, Roger, and they come up with that scripture and, and, uh, hebrews 10 14 they'll say being made holy and so i have to take my time and work it through with them to say well number one even if you thought being made holy was a progressive act of sanctification you can't get away from the perfection being in the past tense but then if you take your time and look at verse 10 you see that holiness is already done sanctification is already done and so that is why the more precise translations of the NASB and the NET take both of them as being past tense, holiness and perfection. Okay, so anyways, when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, it is clear when we are sanctified. It's at the same time we were washed and justified. So friends, when were you washed? When were you justified? At salvation, now, if you were washed at salvation and justified at salvation, weren't you also sanctified according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11? So where is the argument? Now, if you want to say, well, I believe it started, but it didn't finish, let me ask you a question. How much were you washed at salvation? Just partially? Are you continually being washed right now of the former sins of your past life? Are you continually, ongoingly being washed? No. Let me ask you another question. How much of you was justified at salvation? Were you partially justified at salvation or were you entirely justified at salvation? So if you were entirely justified at salvation, entirely sanctified, excuse me, washed at salvation and justified at salvation, then would it not follow you are also entirely sanctified at salvation? So let me make sure we're taking our time right here so that everyone can follow me. I know I went into a little bit deep of the hermeneutics, which is the understanding of the scriptures and exegetic, I went into exegesis, the uh, context of the scriptures there, okay? So does anybody have any questions about that? I want you to ask them right now before I move on, because this is meant to be more of a Bible study than it is just meant to be like a show where I'm just like, uh, you know, just saying what I have to say. I want you guys to uh, actually interact with me so that I can pause and make it, um, you know, clear for everyone listening. I want to make sure that everyone listening can get this, okay? So give me just a second. I'm going to check all the questions because I know there's a time delay, and I'm going to also put up another graphic I didn't have here, Um I'm trying to think of how I would find that graphic. Complete salvation. I got to put in the word salvation. here. I'm going to check these questions in just a moment. Salvation by faith alone. Give me just a moment here. Let's see if there's any questions on what I just said. If anybody has any comments, put that up as well. Oh, I want this graphic right now that I made, and I got to think it through. Where in the world do I have this graphic? I want this graphic, so give me just a moment as I think about. I preached a whole message on this complete salvation because really, if you're doubting sanctification is complete. You're also doubting if uh, salvation is complete. So if sanctification is ongoing, then in one sense you're saying salvation is ongoing, that it's not complete. Because the same scriptures that teach us that we are fully saved are the same scriptures that teach us we are fully sanctified. Oh, total salvation. I'm gonna come and check these questions in just a moment, but I want this graphic. The promise of salvation for all. I need this so badly. I'm like almost willing to start this entire show over again uh, just so that I can have this graphic in my notes. Okay. I need to have this. Where is this in my notes right now? I'm going to get to the. Okay. There it is. Okay. I got it here. Let me pull this up. Okay, then I'll check the questions, and I apologize for not always having my things ready, but sometimes when I'm on the fly here, things start coming up. Okay, let me see if there's any questions. Okay, David's making some comments. They feel claiming to be saved sinners as humble as if they claim to be perfect, then they are held to, uh, excuse me, if they claim to be perfect, then they are to be held, then they are, man, I can't read that. If they claim to be perfect, then they are to be held accountable to that. Exactly. People don't want to hold to the biblical understanding of what what it is to be made perfect in Christ because what it does is it keeps them accountable to the scriptures. And as long as they can keep making those excuses that nobody is perfect and that they aren't made who God said they are made to be like, then they can keep living in sin. That's exactly right, brother. Now I'm going to put in this picture right here so that everybody can see it. And I wanna make sure that you guys are following with me. I don't really see any questions, though of course that doesn't mean people don't have them. Sometimes people are shy, don't wanna ask them. And I know also a lot of times people are working during this time. So if you come back and watch this video after you work and you have any questions, let me know. Look at this. See, works-based salvation is the same lie of works-based sanctification. And that's why I put it together in this chart right here. When you look at yourself being continually sanctified over time, it's really like you're saying God is saving me over time. That's that's really what people are meaning when they're discussing sanctification. If you get down to the nitty gritty of what they're actually saying, what they're actually saying is that God is saving me little by little. And that's not true because think about it. When you were saved, you were completely saved. You were holy saved. You were perfectly saved. There is no argument about that according to scripture. It is clear. Well, the same thing is true about your sanctification. The idea that you're being sanctified in a ongoing process to remove more sin out of your life is not biblical. Think about it like this. Mike 3.16 says, little by little, God is saving me because when I do my part, he does his. When I do better, I become better. And so then the idea is like you start off Christianity 100% a sinner, according to Mike. And then after you get saved, you start to know a little bit more about the Bible. Then you do a little bit more of Christianity. And then you're like 10% holy now. You're still 90% a sinner, but you're like 10% holy. And then so you're supposed to go through life more like reading your Bible, praying more, and then you'll become more holy. Is that what we learned when we went through these scriptures? Is that what we were being taught? No, look, look at the scriptures again so you do not miss it. Look at the scriptures again. What does it say here? You were washed on a certain day. You were justified on a certain day. You were sanctified on a certain day. All of that happened. That is salvific language, language of salvation, and that is language of sanctification. Now go back to that passage that I've been reading to you. It says, by one sacrifice, you have been made perfect forever. Those who are sanctified, those who are holy, So which one are you? Are you saved or are you not saved? Are you lost or are you found? Are you holy or are you unholy? See, Ephesians 2.8 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So now as we look back at salvation, it is a complete work in Christ. Through faith, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And then what does Ephesians go on to teach us? Ephesians, as I mentioned in our last talk, which I'm bringing more detail now, Ephesians chapter 10 is very clear that it says we are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship now. We're not waiting to become God's workmanship God is not working on us. We are past tense created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So as I've said before, God is not like this cheap mechanic that always has busted cars in his his yard and he's always working on them, but they're never fixed, okay? Jesus is not, Jesus doesn't have a bunch of us saved sinners around him and we're never truly made holy. We're always busted and disgusted. That's not how it works. According to the word of God, we are sanctified at the same time we're justified. We are perfected and made holy at the same salvific time, at the same time we're born again. And so we go from being sinner to saint instantly. Instantly, the work of sanctification is completed in our life. We are made holy, righteous, and perfect in Christ. We are not continuing in that to achieve more of that. And that's why I'll just go back to this one more time. So if anyone from the assemblies of God is listening to me who believes in definite and progressive, let's say you believe in Hebrews 10, 14, as it's translated here, which would create a contradiction, which with verse 10 in the prior verse, where it says you have been made holy. But let's just say you you believe you are made holy and then you are being made holy. You believe in that weird way of thinking, okay? Well, let me just tell you, Whatever you are now receiving in sanctification ought not to be intrinsically towards your perfection or towards who you are, because literally it says you're perfect forever. So whatever's going on in your progressive holiness is not ontology, not ontologically speaking. The only way I could see that language being used and why the, why I've left it in our bylaws, because uh, uh, you know I was from the Assemblies of God as we started in this non-denominational church, and I kept their their same bylaws, was so that. Uh, the only reason why I kept it is because I could understand if someone says after they've sinned, then they repent. That The work of holiness is continuing in that way. But remember, you're not going from being dirty to, to more clean, dirty to more clean. It's actually you are clean. And if you were to sin, you're being forgiven to be made clean again. It's Think of it like this. Imagine if you're um, going to a water plant and they're purifying water, and they're continually working on that water to get it purified. Well, once the water is purified, now at that point, it's pure, okay? Now, if something were to come into it, At that point, it would be repurified, but only to the point to bring it back to its original state of perfection. And that is what I would say is the gray area uh, out of my love for the assemblies of God that I can accept. Because I've met a lot of like true holiness preachers that will make room for that and not go where I'm at right now. But I still don't think it's most accurate to the scripture, okay? I don't believe ongoing sanctification is really God's plan for our life, nor is that the biblical message. And let me just show that to you in the assemblies of God and how they changed. Let me uh, take a little detour right now for those who might enjoy this. The assemblies of God did not always believe the way they put it now and state it that way. They used to have a different sanctification statement. Sanctification, Assembly of God. Let me put it up here so that everybody can look at it. If you go to the Wikipedia article on this subject, you can see the history of the Assemblies of God as it pertains to what they originally had. Okay, let's see here. Okay, let me put this up so you guys can take a look at it. Okay, look at how the assemblies of God used to have their sanctification statement. And this was the way I think it should have been. The goal, okay, here it was. Under the heading, entire sanctification, this is what it said. The goal for all believers, it read, Entire sanctification is the will of God for all believers and should be earnestly pursued by walking in obedience to God's word. The term entire sanctification is distinctly Wesleyan, but the statement actually called for an ongoing process of obedience and reliance on and cooperation with the Holy Ghost. Now they changed it in 1961 under uh, Stanley Horton, who I had conversations with, he then they then changed it so that it wouldn't be ambiguous and that it would be um they felt it was ambiguous and they wanted to have a different meaning to the word entire they wanted to take that out basically let me just read it In 1961 the general council revised the statement significantly giving it its current form and eliminated some of the wesleyan language such as entire stanley horton who served on the revision committee stated that the committee felt that the word entire was ambiguous because we were using it with a different meaning than promoted by holiness Pentecostals who taught a second definite work. Now understand this. This is where it gets a little bit confusing for some is that the Wesleys taught that sanctification was a second work after salvation. Though it was entire, it was a second work. So you had to be saved and sanctified as a work of God's grace. The finished work theology taught that it came at salvation. William Durham taught that and that's what I believe, okay? Now we'll get into the practical living this uh, of the practical way to live this out in just a moment, but I want us to see now what they have as their current statement which I have on our church website. Sanctification initially occurs at salvation and is not only a declaration that a believer is holy, but also a progressive lifelong process of separating from evil as believers continually draw closer to God and become more Christ-like. So I have allowed that and I need to change it, but I have allowed that because I try to understand it with the best light that I've heard it from others. But I believe there's a better way to say it. The better way to say it is We are completely and entirely sanctified at salvation and are to live that out in our spiritual life, to live that out in our spiritual growth. So let me share with you how I think it should be said in a better way with some graphics, okay? So let's look at these things right here. Here's how we should look at the spiritual life. Number one, the new man at creation is made perfect, as we have read, and also it teaches in, already in Hebrews ten ten and 14, and also in Hebrews ten twenty three, and is purified in their soul, according to 1 Peter 1, 22, given by the Holy Spirit at new birth, 1 Peter 1, So simply, inwardly, the new man is perfected in their spirit and sanctified in their soul, okay? Now, spiritual growth, the spirit is, Growing the believer's faith, because the Bible says to add to your faith these things, will grow in their knowledge of God and then begin to show it as they live out obedient lives. So there is a knowing, a showing, and a growing. It starts with the knowing, then as you show it through your life, you grow. So there is spiritual growth, but it's not for perfection, You have already been made perfect in Christ. Spiritual growth is to show what God has already done. And then lastly, renewal and transformation is the evidence in the believer that reflects the image of Christ internally in their renewed mind and externally through their transformed behavior. Now I have an entire paper on these concepts that I will post up here that you can see. Here's another way to look at it. At new birth, we are saved and sanctified. Let's just make it simple. Then we begin to grow by knowing, showing, and growing that that cycle continues. And then we begin to have renewal and transformation. Now, lastly, if you wanna know where most of our life is gonna be lived, it's gonna be lived in the knowing, showing, and growing. We will begin to as as a Christian, know more about Jesus being our God and Savior, we will learn more about who we are, sharing in the divine nature of Christ, and then we'll know more about these commands. As we know those things, God is our Savior, who we are in Him, and the commands He has for our life, we will begin to show it by our behavior. Our behavior will begin to change And here's all of these things that should be a part of our behavior, our Bible reading, our family, our scripture memorization, uh, journaling things out, writing out the the deep things of our heart, praying and worshiping, discipling and being like Christ, uh, Christian service, public evangelism, spiritual meditation, managing our finances, hanging out with Christians and being involved in church. And as we're doing that, we will grow in the goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and gentleness of the Lord. Why do I use those certain terms right there at the end? It's because in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says that this is how we are to know, show, and grow. This is what it's going to look like. And so it says in verse five, it says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and mutual affection uh, love. And so that's why uh, here I have these things written out in this way. So I know it's a little bit more uh, information on what we talked about. If you have any questions, let me know. I got a little bit deep when it came to the translations, but I'll hang out right now and look at some of your comments. David, I find it hard to believe you can shine forth your positional light without it being a practical light. Exactly. Now, David, let me answer this question you have. Are we perfect in position while being perfected in practice? I hear this taught often. And, and yes, that, that's the error that I'm trying to correct. I think that's what the assemblies of God is saying. And I, I don't believe it's true because if we're being perfected in practice, what is being perfected? If someone is saying my practice is perfected in practice, then that's true. Yes, that's spiritual growth. <laughs> practice is being perfected. But if they think practicing is what inwardly uh, gives you perfection, Practicing the commands of God inwardly does something to your spiritual sanctification that is untrue. Spiritual sanctification is all by grace. There is nothing that we earn in spiritual sanctification. There is no ongoing practice that changes the new man. And that's where I want us to learn if if you guys are hanging around me at all and wanna learn some of the terms that I use. Ontologically speaking, and let me put a definition up here of ontology So that everybody, ontology, so that everybody can learn this word with us. Ontologically speaking, what do I mean by that term? Everybody look at the definition. The branch of metaphysics dealing with being, okay? So when I say ontologically speaking, we are already perfected in Christ, I am saying our being is already perfected at salvation, that is what Hebrews ten fourteen is teaching us, is that at salvation, we are perfected once and for all. And I hope I made that case for why I take the NASB and the NET's translation of sanctification being taken as past tense there, okay? So yes, I think that people... Uh, using this terminology of we're perfect in position but not perfect in practice to mean that we're not perfect inwardly unless we practice it more Mm -hmm. that is taking away from the grace of God and so here here's how I would say it to them here's how I would say it does your practice make you perfect in justification Does your practice make you perfect and being washed? Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Does anything I practice make this real in my life? No, it's by grace through faith. We all agree with that, right? Like by grace through faith, I am fully washed. By grace through faith, I am fully justified. Well, why would I change that when I come to sanctification? Now listen, if they were to now say, that in this uh, passage here, that sanctification is only positional. Then I would say is being washed only positional, is justification only positional. No, it's ontological. It's with has to do with being. All the Old Testament scriptures that have to do with deal with washing had to deal with them washing their body and their hands and all of these things to symbolize a spiritual washing right we all understand that and everything to do with justification has to do with the nature of the sinner. They're, they're a sinner by nature under the wrath of God. So justification changes their nature. They're no longer by nature an object of wrath because the wrath that was upon them has been paid for and there has been a transformation of their spirit and soul. Now let me just show a couple of scriptures. that have to do with that as I answer a few more questions because I know I got some theological nerds here. David and Jose really love this and that's okay if it's not as popular as my other videos. I, I'm really here to teach, right? Like whoever can go deep with me, let's go deep. So this is really the deep stuff of what we believe when it comes to sanctification. We have to be able to explain it. Well, let me just show you some of the scriptures that talk about the transformation and the renewal of our soul. Well, when you go to First Peter, look at First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter 1 says, "Who has been chosen talking about us according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with His blood? The sanctifying work of the Spirit that saves us. Does that not internally? sanctify us i mean is it just positionally he's moving us from the box called unholy to the box now called holy no it's not just we're positionally moving yes we're position we're changing positions but it's because something is happening internally in our hearts keep reading it's clear where this is happening look at what it says It says, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving right now. You are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Your soul is being saved. Now continue on as he says, you know, talking about being holy. Look at how he talks about holiness. He says, as obedient children, see, positionally we're children. We're not sinners, uh, children of Satan anymore. We're children of God. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy, now watch, in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So now watch, you can't even do holiness and practice holiness unless you first be holy. But keep going, he makes it even more clear. He then says, now in verse uh, in verse 22, now that you have purified your souls by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. So think about this. Your soul is purified. Your heart is changed. And then he even makes it even more clear in verse 23, for you have been born again. If born again doesn't mean transformation of your being, then what in the world does that term mean, born again, right? The whole term encompasses being transformed in your inner nature. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And so let me ask you a question. When I was born again, was I born again partially in the image of Christ? No, fullness of Christ, according to Colossians. When I was born again, was I partially washed? No, I was fully washed. When I was born again, was I partially justified? No, I was fully justified. Therefore, when I was born again, was I sanctified partially or fully? Fully sanctified, 100%. And so once again, what is spiritual growth? Spiritual growth is the knowing showing and the growing, the continual cycle of what God did at new birth. That's where it comes from. It comes from the holy uh, uh, child of God's spirit by the Holy Spirit. You know, that, that's where it comes from. So I can do holy because I have been made holy. Let me show you another scripture about righteousness. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, look at what it says here. It says, in him, or, or rather talking, God made us, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So do we do more righteous things to become righteous? No, we don't do more righteous things to become righteous. According to the scriptures, we are made righteous first. Then we do righteous things. Does everybody get that? We are made righteous first, then we do righteous things. We are made holy first, then we do holy things. Okay, let me see here. Okay, let's go to Roger. Okay, is it the imputed righteousness of Christ which makes us appear perfect to God despite our sins or does God actually make us perfect having been cleansed from all unrighteousness? That's a good question, my brother. I don't see necessarily a difference in that. I know some people might quibble over that. Um, I know with Jesse Morale, I have a feeling Jesse Morale and I might have a discussion on this, but the only reason why I don't want to discuss this right now with Jesse Morale and others is because I feel like those of us who believe in Christian perfectionism shouldn't be debating each other right now. We should be just getting the message out, and then those of us who have differences can discuss them on the side first and then come up with some answers between ourselves uh, that can find agreement, like a, like a statement we can all agree on. That would be something I would prefer because I haven't even got the opportunity yet for, for people who believe in the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing of Christianity, part sinner, part saint, to to enjoy a discussion with me and that's where I think we should be focusing our efforts um but to answer the question I do accept a lot of Armenian theology so that that would encompass a lot of things that people like Jesse don't agree with so I'm glad you answered the question so I do believe in inherent sin nature uh from Adam and Eve I do believe in the um the judicial atonement theory which is uh Of course, my mind is slipping right now. Um, Why is it? I can't remember the term for that. And I do believe we still have sin in our flesh. I disagree with Wesley in that way. And I believe I could show Jesse. I believe Jesse and I should have a private conversation first and others like him because I believe there are questions that Wesley could not answer like how sin resides in the flesh. And Jesse said something like, well, where is it? Can we surgically remove it? Well, we would run into problems if the flesh doesn't have sin in it when it comes to death. It's not just cursed because of a past tense thing, but it's it's also dying now. If the curse has been removed, it should no longer die. It should be brought back to restoration. That's what I believe. It should be glorified in some sense. And then number two, I believe that if we don't give the place of sin in the flesh, we're not we're not able to understand where temptation comes from inwardly in the believer. Thank you. Penal substitutionary atonement. Let me give you an example of how I how I believe we can't get away from sin being in the flesh, but it's not a nature, and that's where I would uh, disagree with. I would agree with him and disagree with others because I don't I don't agree we have a sin nature. The believer does not have a sin nature. But the believer does have sinful flesh. Let me give you the example. Let's go to, uh, let's go to James right here. Now, notice what, what James says. It says, after the, um, uh, verse 14, it says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. Their own evil desire. So, since being a Christian, have I been tempted? Since being made perfect in Christ, have I been tempted? Yes. Now, if I can't ascribe ascribe temptation to something inwardly in myself, I then have to say every time I'm tempted, I'm tempted externally by the devil. But I don't believe that that's what the Bible is saying. I believe that I still, as a Christian, can be inwardly tempted by my own flesh. And so go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, it says, those who, are, who belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So notice that even though I'm in Christ and my spiritual soul has been perfected, my sinful flesh still has evil passions and desires. Now that's why I believe Paul calls it a body of death. When you look at it, He says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death or in the King James, the the body of death. Now, I don't agree with the NIV in its translation where it says my sinful nature. It shouldn't say that there. So let's go to the King James. It should just say my flesh. So that's the problem. I believe people are, are walking around thinking they have another nature as a believer and they don't. You only have one nature and nature comes from your spiritual soul, not from your earth suit. So your nature can change in your soul while your flesh stays the same. The flesh is what's going to change at the resurrection. And that's what we're waiting for. And don't let me forget about Philippians. And I'll explain how that can really only be rectified from my point of view and not from one like a Wesleyan who doesn't believe that we carry that sinful nature, uh, sinful flesh anymore in our body. Let me, let me show you this scripture first um, in, in the King James, Romans 7 here as it ends. Romans 7 says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So the law of sin to me is still in the flesh. Now notice, that's why in Philippians, he says, I am not made perfect. Watch this. And people try to use this against our position and I'll show how it backfires on them. But if the Wesleyan holds to sinless perfection in the flesh, it actually takes down their point. Okay, so watch. I'll explain it right here. He says he's waiting for the resurrection, right? Now in verse 12, notice what he says. He says, not as though I had already obtained, either were already perfect. Now, someone who's trying to come against our... our um, definition of entire sanctification and perfection would say, aha, I got you. You're not already made perfect. These other scriptures you are taking out of context. No, I say to them, they're taking this scripture out of context. In what way is Paul saying, I am not already perfect? In what way is he saying that? Look at what he says. He says, I count my, I count not myself to have apprehended. What has he not apprehended? Continue on. He says, um, or excuse me, look ahead. He says, not, let me just read the passage. Okay. Uh, I confuse my own self. Look at verse 11. If by any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead. Okay. What does he want to obtain? The resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained. What is he saying he had not obtained yet? Resurrection of the dead. Either were already perfect. So what must be the perfection that he's saying he has not obtained? A physical perfect body. If the Wesleys were right and that they had received the same body at salvation, the body of Adam and of Christ, that now they are perfect in body and spiritual soul, they are calling Paul a basic liar. Paul is very clear. I have not already been made perfect. And then now he says, I want to apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ. And that's the resurrection. But now watch, he says, what I do, I do this one thing, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward forth unto those things which are before. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now notice what he says. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. So there are two perfections according to Paul. Two perfections. Does everybody get that who's tracking with me here? I want to make sure we get that. There are two perfections. Exactly, Roger, you got it. So that's why I don't agree with the Wesleyan understanding of physical perfection coming at spiritual perfection. Now, someone might accuse us of being a Gnostic in some way, saying that because we believe there are two ways that God is moving in us, one physically and one spiritually, that now spiritually we can do whatever we want, uh, rather physically we can do whatever we want and it doesn't affect us spiritually. No, the Bible says we will be judged according to what, what we do in the body. What we do in the body, we will be judged. And let me show that here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.10 2 Corinthians 5.10 is very clear about that. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in this body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Excuse me. So going back to my pictures and my understanding no one can accuse me of saying that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we do in the body. No, it does. There must be a growing knowing, uh, knowing, showing, and growing, and a renewal and transformation of thoughts and behaviors. Renewal has to do with thoughts. Transformation has to do with behavior. And let me just share that those concepts real quick here in Romans chapter twelve, verse one. It says, I beseech you, uh, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, once again, why do I have to present my body as a living sacrifice? Because it has not yet been perfected. Holy, acceptable unto God. So I'm presenting it to God for his holy purpose, but it has not yet been perfected. It is for God's holy purpose, it can serve as his temple but it has not yet been perfected. It still must die and receive the resurrection the fullness of the body being the temple is at the resurrection, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How are we transformed in our behavior in our body? We're transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and and the perfect will of God. And so how does transformation of behavior come about? It comes about by the renewing of the mind. As the mind is set on the things of God, it will begin to transform how we live out the things of God but we first have to be made holy to do holy. We first have to know, show and grow for that process to happen. Now that process is not sanctification. That process is spiritual growth. And so uh, I could go on into other directions contradicting uh, some other scriptures that people try to use against this, but um, I hope that this is encouraging people. And if you just joined in now, Make sure you go back over and watch it from the beginning because I've tried to add on more depth. I tried to go into more depth at the beginning as well. What's up, Monica? Good to see you. Uh, anybody else have questions or comments or a direction, you might want me to go in. I will post up my doctoral paper on this which goes into more depth with the pictures. And of course, now you have this video. Share if you care, if you want someone to watch it. And we'll see if Jesse and I can get together at some point. I I'm just praying about how I will interact with them. It just seems like right now, uh, he's got a lot on his plate. And I don't want to distract him from what God's doing in his life with uh, James White and those others. Uh, with you know, with some of the things that we may disagree about. It's not it is honestly it's not that important to me. I would rather have a friend, I would rather be preaching with a Wesleyan, a Finnian, or whatever, you know, that's like Charles Wesley or uh, uh, John Wesley, Charles Finney than someone that's not. So I actually love Charles Finney. I love John Wesley. I just don't feel it, it summarizes the position the best. My position would be more the finished work theology of William Durham and uh, classical Pentecostalism uh, without the second work, without believing you have to be second as a second work sanctified. Jesus is one of my best friends. He'd love to converse with you. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you guys for hanging out a little bit more deeper today. I hope that everyone has a great day and enjoys their time with their friends and family and preaching the gospel. Enjoy your weekend. God bless you.